Hello? Hello, hello? Yes. Oh, we are connected. Fantastic. Welcome to Chanel's Language Learning Journey podcast. It's happened even when technology doesn't want to work correctly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show, Vladimir. I'm really, really very glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. I, I loved your story ever since I saw it on YouTube a couple years ago. And I saw your video of the 19 languages that you had learned over the course of 20 something years. And I was just like blown away. Oh, it's this, not all that. Come on. <laughs> what the hell did he do? And I mean, you did it with nothing but immersion and, and, and books and a lot of listening. I'm it is true. I, 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 never went to a, I, I never went to a class. I did take classes uh, when I was in Italy and um, I did study Chinese at, you know, in a university class setting, but most of the languages that I speak, I learned on my own and, and you know, through immersion and reading and, and listening a lot. I was talking to Chris Broham about that, like when I interviewed him and Jimmy Mello as well about how that is so important to be able to listen and to understand what people are saying to you because, you know, everyone seems to think, oh, well, you need the four core skills, reading, writing, listening, and speaking. Well, yes, but people tend to forget once they do learn how to speak, regardless of what country you come from, you learn it the same way. That is true. You listen and you absorb what it's around you and you start speaking regardless of not knowing what grammar really is i mean we don't learn how to read until about four or five anyway when we start going to school and true and i think people tend to forget once they get to school and after they get out of school in adulthood and particularly that they um first learned how to speak a language their mother tongue by osmosis you know listening or repeating everything they heard around them so because they have these other tools now at their disposal they become more acclimated to learning um in one way or two ways and and they forget the foundation of how they first learned their mother tongue so they think it's a lot more difficult than what it really needs to be True, true. I mean, I, it, it is true that by um, using all these methods and techniques, you can speed up the learning process a lot. But I think the sort of like the, what it boils down to and the core sort of thing that people should have on their mind when, when sort of learning a new language is um, the sound, basically, right? So, so listening and then uh, repeating, you know, getting the sound in and getting the sound out and then sort of trying to figure out the technicalities on your own is what, what I usually do. Now, I mean, do you have like a routine, so to speak? Like, I mean, I know when I wake up in the morning, I mean, aside from feeding my guide dog and taking him outside, <laughs> you know, I have to have my two cups of coffee. I have to listen to Prince 24 on, on my Apple TV in the morning for a couple hours um, cause I stopped watching American news altogether. Right. <laughs> and so, um, you know, to try to get the content in my head in the morning and then I might do, I don't know, 
some vocabulary I'll memorize and then I'll go and find, you know, my friends on WhatsApp and, and throw some messages out there in French or whatever language I'm mm-hmm. in the speak at the moment. So, I mean, that's pretty much my routine, like in the morning. Um, and then if I feel like it, I'll do some, you know, Michelle Thomas, you know, but a lot of it is me watching a lot of Netflix and reading newspaper in French and listening to SBS French and any other, you know, language right. at that time. So, I mean, cause I'm auditory learner. Right. So I, I pretty much just try to absorb as much and speak as much as well. Mm-hmm. I'm, I don't, I don't even focus on the writing right away because I look at it as I want to communicate. I want to talk. Sure. Yeah. I don't want to write everything down. So my routine, uh, I have this thing which I coined uh, compulsive time management, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is basically like the exact opposite of, of, of like managing your time well, or not even well, just systematically. It is mm-hmm. systematical time management, but it's just a very, very compulsive. Well, let me just explain what I do. So I have about 20 things that I that or 20 skills that I would like to improve roughly, let's say one is math, the other one is uh, Mandarin Chinese, the third is philosophy and so on. And I have a list of these things and I just randomly do whichever I feel doing at whatever time I I have time to do it. And then when I burn out, I just, you know, look at the list and see which other thing on that list is attractive to me at that time. And I just continue doing it if I feel like it. And the reason for that is that I found that motivation for me was key in learning quickly. And um, I, I find that like having this compulsive time management little thing keeps me, it's like a little child just playing with whatever that child wants to play with, but I'm doing it with a, in a more systematic way. That is, I mean, more effective way because, or more useful way, I would, I would say actually, because I have a list of things that are very important to me that I would like to work on. Mm-hmm. And um, I just choose from that list, whatever I want to work on next. Um, and, uh, it seems to be working. So, um, you know, obviously I have work like real work that I have to do, but whenever I have free time, uh, I just, this, this is what I, this is what I, this is where I resort to re hold on one second, please, because my phone is vibrating. All right. Um, so as I was saying, yeah, I have this compulsive uh, time management little, uh, way of managing my time. I wake up, um, I go outside on the terrace and I, you know, it's quite cold already. It's maybe two, three degrees centigrade. So I'll be like 34, 35 Fahrenheit. And I do my little workouts outside. It gets me started. And I have a shower, then either work or, you know, when I have free time, I, I do, I just choose whatever I want from this list. Now, if it happens to be a language, then usually the languages that I work on now are Mandarin Chinese and then possibly a little bit of Latin or, you know, something like that. And uh, I usually just listen to, listen to uh, podcasts, mm-hmm. like as close to natural spoken native Mandarin as possible. And I listen to it and I either repeat in my mind what the people are saying in Mandarin or I tra- translate it, simult- interpret it simultaneously into Slovak, which is a form of... Uh, exercise um when it comes to interpretation as well as a way of um you know learning the language to me at least mm-hmm. and then um 
other things that I do is I just call my friends, like my Russian friends or Italian friends, and we just chat. This is, I mean, I know there are probably more effective ways, but for me at this point where I'm really not that interested in language learning anymore, mm-hmm. motivation is very, very important. And so I would not probably just, 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 I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to sit down and, and just read a textbook about, I don't know, uh, ancient Greek, for instance, right. for three, four hours. But I can talk to my friend for three, four hours like, <laughs> right. in, in Russian. That's, that's okay. Um, so, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to sort, of, sort of look for that motivational spark somewhere, if, if, if it is still there. Because we've been talking about this before, and I, I, I'm not really into language learning uh, anymore and to be quite honest I never was into language learning I was into language speaking uh, right. I think I uh, previously someone had asked me this and they said well do you do like language learning or how do you feel about language learning and I said learning a language to me is just that obstacle between me not speaking the language and me speaking the language it's like that necessary evil that has to be done and I just it's like going to the gym basically uh, I don't think people enjoy uh, you know, going to the gym in itself, uh, they probably enjoy having the result or being healthy more than that process. So right. that for me is this, the, the, the same thing. And um, yeah, so I find that right now at, at this point where I am right now with my mind, uh, this uh, compulsory time management uh, thing um, is helping me a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, also the fact that I try to force myself to do everything every day, like at least something every day. So so that it's not so messy and that it's at least a little bit consistent. And that's about it. Now, that's interesting because I know for me personally, I'm like you in a lot of ways. I, my main aim is to speak. Uh, to have meaningful conversations past the weather. How many kids do you got? Are you married? I get these questions constantly. Why do you want to learn the language for are you coming to my country? If you're not coming <laughs> to work or you're not coming to go to school, then why are you? Because I find it interesting. I mean, I've right. had to uh, boil it down to like a couple sentences and say, well, because I enjoy this. Right. Or, you know, I find uh, like, for instance, Italian and French. I studied cinema when I was in college. So, you know, I'm certified director, producer, screenwriter. I studied theater in, in my undergrad. So, right. you know, I studied all of it. So I enjoy those elements of, of language, you know, plays and cinema and fashion and politics and so forth in food in sports. So because of that, Whenever I start a language, I want to know those vocabulary words. So I would be able to have a, a, a in-depth conversation. I mean, do I need to know every scientific term in Russian? No, I hate science. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, I mean, for me personally, like, I entered, I would have to say, the language community three years ago. Um, you know, I mean, I had this drive to want to know French and Russian ever since I was like 13. Mm-hmm. And I didn't learn my first language until I was five. I learned American Sign Someone taught me American Sign Language. And I became fluent, but because I wasn't going to school with deaf people anymore, um, 
I lost a lot of it. I would classify mm-hmm. me at like maybe a beginner level uh-huh. in regards to remembering like a lot of it. Um, I mean, I could have a basic conversation. That's pretty much how I classify my knowledge. But I didn't start my first foreign language until I was 23 and I was in university taking Spanish. And I didn't even want to take Spanish. I wanted to take French or Russian. <laughs> and they didn't offer it. So I, I had no choice. But I found something within the language that I enjoyed in the, the culture, you know, making Spanish friends and singing to Ricky Martin and Shakira and Enrique Iglesias and so forth and dancing in the food. So I made that <laughs> something um, that motivated me to learn the language even more. I might not like speaking it, but I enjoyed singing to it. Mm-hmm. So it kind of was a two-fold thing for me and people started to see that I was good at learning languages even though I didn't go into linguistics and but I decided later on after turning 38 three years ago uh, I wanted to learn Russian so I taught myself Russian mm-hmm. and I know that I've improved immensely because if you can have a conversation with someone who does not speak English and they understand everything you say for two hours, and you don't break into English, you've, you've arrived at, mm-hmm. at some form of um, proficiency. Because I don't like mm-hmm. the word fluent, because I look at it as fluent means the flow of words coming out of you. Not, okay, I'm, you know, you're proficient in, in speaking, you know, and able to use certain words and certain ways or you're able to write you know very well or your reading comprehension you're able to understand what what's being written to you depending on what the you know topic is and so forth and so on yes i'd rather use proficient than fluent because i think sometimes it's overly used in the language learning community people want to know how fluent you are and i was like do you realize like you mean how how smoothly i speak because mm-hmm. my level of proficiency within the language is totally different than, you know, how well my words flow together when I'm, when I'm having a conversation with someone. So, um, yeah, I, I try not to use fluent in the way that a lot of language learners in the language community defined it as. Um, I, I think it's, it's overly used mm-hmm. a lot of times. Uh, you know, by a lot of people. Um, given the fact that I am visually impaired, uh, and I do have some residual vision because I used to read large print, but I no longer do because mm-hmm. uh, my vision has declined uh, in regards to reading. So I, I mostly do everything by ear. And so that is the first thing that I, I come across with ESL learners um, is, you know, how well they they speak or you know they they might have holes in their speech and i mean i get plenty of requests for people to you know help them with their english because they want to talk to an authentic american who speaks you know english very well and because they don't you know they come from like brazil or they come from mexico or they come from russia or somewhere where there's a monolingual environment and they don't have the opportunity to speak english unless it's british english Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm just, I'm, I'm curious, um, 
do you think, I mean, after, you know, all these years of, of learning, you know, languages, has it like made you a more, um, cultural person as far as being able to you know understand where other people are coming from like definitely i mean um so so maybe this is you know coming from eastern well central eastern europe there's a lot of different countries small countries grouped together and so we are constantly exposed to different cultures so to speak but still we are in the same subgroup of eastern europeans or central europeans and then europeans and westerners so um i think i was quite open-minded as a child already and then when i was quite small quite quite young i mean i was seven i think uh, i went to the united states and i saw again something different so uh, i think i was quite open-minded and cultural if you want to say that um but nowhere close to when i went to taiwan for the first time and then when i spent like whatever five plus years there Mm-hmm. Because that was really just, and still is, I mean, I've been, what was the first time I went to Taiwan? 2010. So yeah, eight years already. And I still learn new and new and new things about myself, the world, and the, the society that I live in and lived in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just arrived at a point where I completely stopped trusting my own judgment because um, things are like they are very often not what they seem to be, and um, so so in, in these terms, when you, if you ask me if am I more culturally aware and, and and aware of where people are coming from, I'm starting to be over over like this. Uh, what is the term like uh, paralysis analysis or analysis paralysis? Like I think that you know, given the fact that there's just too many uh, variables and or variables, I don't know how you pronounce that word and, and how people think and, and too many exceptions to the rule of where, of, of like, if someone says something like what that person actually means. Mm-hmm. That really, I mean, at this point, I've been reading a lot of books about philosophy and uh, books that have been written by philosophers. And I'm just totally lost, to be very honest, in, in, in the, like, and, and trying to understand people, whether they are Europeans or whether or, or Eastern, like people from China, Japan, or Taiwan, equally. And um, I'm just trying to educate myself more and more to be able to understand uh, at least a little bit more than I do right now. Because very honestly, I'm <laughs> I'm not sure I do. So um, yeah, it has definitely has helped, but at the same time, it has just showed me how little I know. Yeah. about like my, this world and myself actually like some some reactions uh um that i had to you know that i have experienced are, are really strange because i never thought i would have them so now that's interesting because i mean i've the furthest i've ever been outside of the united states is toronto canada <laughs> okay and you're like our next door neighbors so uh-huh. And it's been 19 years. But uh-huh. at the same time, I've always been someone where I've always wanted to go outside the United States. I've always wanted to see the places that I read about and the books that I've read and, you know, throughout the course of my life. Because I've always been someone that's been more of a forward thinking person. 
Mm-hmm. Being African American, living in a monolingual family where no one speaks any other language other than English, you know, you kind of mm-hmm. being visually impaired, and the only one that mm-hmm. you know has a visual impairment disability, it's very difficult to sometimes be able to relate to people in your own family because you're you're it, you want to be exposed to other cultures and other languages and other different kinds of food and film. And I'm just, I'm never, I would call myself the, uh, I kind of lived my life like a vagabond. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother moved around a lot. And um, I mean, I lived in Jersey for seven years. I lived mm-hmm. in uh, California for three as an adult. Uh, North Carolina, Georgia, and Alabama. I've been to 28 different states. In the U.S. or outside of the U.S.? Oh, in the U.S. Only, you know, and it's funny because a lot of people don't have passports because Mm -hmm. they don't know what the point is. I mean, okay, yeah, they'll go to Mexico. They'll go to Canada. They'll go to, uh, you know, maybe Jamaica or the Bahamas, you know, the Virgin Islands, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, places that's close by. In the same, you know, northern hemisphere. Talking about going to Europe or Asia or, oh man, that, first of all, it's way expensive. <laughs> yeah, so, that's true. And I mean, just to go to Germany would cost you almost $1,500. Mm-hmm. You know, depending on what flight you're going out of and, and what airline. I mean, just to go to Cleveland to Moscow, round trip is a thousand bucks. Hmm. And that's before you you talk about registering with the police and <laughs> because you've got no choice in the matter. But um, I mean, I understand why. Mm-hmm. Look at the terrorism that they, they have going on. Over there. Mm-hmm. You got to keep track of people somehow. Um, you know, and I mean, that for me personally, I, I guess I look at it as someone that's visually impaired, given the temperature that we're living in right now with, with, you know, the terrorism and the, you know, I kind of feel, you know, learning how to speak certain languages brings me more closer as a global citizen, not so much as an American, but as a citizen of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that language gives us a bridge to connect with each other in ways that we wouldn't be able to otherwise. I mean, I, I don't believe in the mythos of, Oh, well, English, you don't need any other language because English, everyone speaks English. That's not true. Not everyone speaks English. I mean, if you go to touristy spots in certain parts of the world, they might speak English. But if you go outside of those cities, they don't speak English. They speak whatever language they speak. Mm. So a lot of times you have to know the language. It's like in Russia, as a prime example, if you're not going to Novosibirsk or you're not going to Sochi or St. Petersburg or Moscow. Good luck. Because a lot of people don't speak English. They don't need to. If they're not going outside of their country or they're not going in some of the former Soviet Union countries where they still speak Russian, why are they going to need to know English? Yeah, I mean, but this is very... um... You know, what you say is a, is a very um, sort of typical American perspective, and not just American. There's a lot of, like, even Austra- Australians have this, like, 
um, not everyone, of course, but a lot of them just don't feel the need to learn English. And many times I do understand because um, it depends on what you, you know, how you're living your life. And right. uh, you, you really do not necessarily need to learn any other language than English, right? Often, oftentimes. But from small, you know, people from small countries like myself, mm -hmm. um, learning a second and a third sometimes language is considered uh, an absolute must. And um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's absolutely compulsive, like mandatory uh, to learn English. Right. Uh, um, in in most schools, as far as I know. And then <laughs> a second language as soon as you're 12, probably, I think. So it's just, I think the conditions are, you know, this is the way the cards are dealt. <laughs> um, we are a small country and we have to learn um, other languages. Yeah, I mean, like I, I told my aunt once, I said, if I, if I can live anywhere in the world... Uh... You know, evidently you have to be somewhere where transportation was accessible. Mm -hmm. I would have rights as someone that's disabled, so forth and so on. However, I would want to be able to speak multiple languages. I've I've never been someone where I was just satisfied with English only. Mm -hmm. It was just something that was driving me to learn someone else's language, get inside their head and figure out how they think and how they live and I mean because you know there's more to life than being in the United States I'm sorry <laughs> I'm saying this as an African-American 41 year old I you know we're all interconnected and at some point if you don't start learning like how to speak something you're going to be left behind mm -hmm. and I know here in the U.S. El Espanol is you know extremely important um, and I mean, Chinese is becoming more important now, too. And so is, like, Korean, Japanese, and Arabic. And German. Um, even though, I mean, evidently you speak it in Luxembourg and Switzerland and Germany itself. And maybe a couple other countries. But, I mean, when I look at it from a global standpoint, you know, what language is going to be important in the next five, ten years? I, I, I can count on one hand. Yeah, English is one of them, but you know, you got Chinese, you got French, you got Arabic, um, you got Russian. Uh, I would say Spanish, uh, mm -hmm. French, and Brazilian Portuguese, and maybe Korean, because it's becoming more prevalent. Like more people are wanting to learn it. Um, as I have seen. I guess being a part of the, you know, polyglot community um, on Facebook and whatnot, um, a lot of people are starting to want to learn that language. And a lot of African-American people, which I didn't notice until recently, um, are starting to learn, you know, languages. They're not, they're not as prevalent on Facebook as they are on YouTube. Like mm -hmm. more on YouTube. But I mean, some of them are like really good. And I think it is kind of becoming more popular now to be able to speak more than one language. I think it just depends on the, you know, the individual who's, who's doing it per se. But I know here in the U.S. It's, it's, it's becoming more popular. I mean, you got people like, you know, Tim Donner and um, Moses McCormick and, 
Suzanne uh, Zarevsky and um, mm-hmm. Ellen Jobin and those type of people who they've learned, you know, languages over the course of years. And I don't know how you feel about this, but um, do you think that a lot of people put too much emphasis on the amount of time that they need to be able to learn a language? I mean, because people actually do believe that they can learn one in like three months. They can get to like a C1 level, which personally to me, I find that to be not realistic at all. Um, You know, because depending on what the language is, and if it's close to your own language, maybe you might be able to, to learn it in six months, a year, but I wouldn't put 90 days as the max to learn a language. Well, so here's the thing. Um, Obviously, it depends on the language. Like, there's no way you can learn Mandarin Chinese or Japanese or Vietnamese or Greenlandic in three months to C1 from scratch if you are a native speaker of English and uh, none of the languages that you speak are in any way related to these languages, right. these difficult, difficult languages. It's just not going to happen. It's just really too, too hard. But I myself and others, I'm not saying I'm the only one, but when I was, for instance, in Italy, me and my fellow Erasmus students, we came to Italy, it was maybe mid-February, and we, we were there for five months, and we learned Italian from scratch to a level where we were passing university-level exams in Italian. And we're, you don't like the word, but we were really fluent, and I think that that was just definitely, we reached a C1 level, like, absolutely. Right. And it, Italian might be an easier case. Like it's a, quite a transparent language when it comes to uh, its vocabulary. You can okay. guess a lot of the words, so you can learn a lot of words. Um, some of them, some of the words you have for free. Some of the words are a little bit masked and then some, some of them are like false friends, but still the vocabulary is very transparent. Now the uh, system of verbs in Italian is very difficult, but there are ways to learn it. Like, you know, there, there are ways how you can speed up the process. And then the pronunciation of Italian is also, I mean, to, to speak as an Italian is very hard, but to speak just Italian to be understood is quite, it's not a huge challenge because the phonetic system is quite okay. So mm-hmm. all of this um, in combination with tremendous motivation and very good conditions when I was in the country and speaking the language for like every day, basically for eight hours, nine hours, right. I was able to learn Italian from zero to C1 in three months, three and a half, maybe. So I think this is possible, but you have to be a very motivated individual in the, in the correct conditions um, under the correct, having the correct conditions uh, to, to achieve that. Now, whether people stress it or not, I don't know. I'm a professional. For me, I need to speak Mandarin Chinese very well, and I had to learn it as quickly as possible. Right. Um, so for me, yes, time was very important, and it still is because, like I said, like for me, um, I like to speak a foreign language. I don't like to learn it, so I really just want to get that out of the way as quickly as possible. Right. Um, and for me, time is very important. Now, I, as I told you, I'm not that motivated anymore. Languages are not something that I spend my time um, on. And I think it's been like this for maybe the past, I don't know, at least two, three years and maybe even more than that. So, um, yeah, languages for me are just kind of, I try to 
I try to not forget the ones that I speak. I, I don't really learn anything new. But should I learn a new language? Like, for instance, let's say I would like to learn ancient Greek or maybe Korean. Yeah. I think I would only do it if I knew that um, if it was Korean, if I knew that I could go to Korea and live there for at least a year. Um, otherwise, I think it would take me too much time and I would lose motivation. So time is, for me, is very important. Anyway, I look at it. Now, for anyone else, depending on what they do, if they are just, if they, if they like learning languages as a, as a hobby, you know, as a sort of like an intellectual enrichment and they look at it as a long-term investment, time is maybe not that important. But when right. I think about it now, then maybe it still is because you cannot, you cannot be learning Italian, if you're an American, you cannot be learning Italian for 15 years and still be at a B2 level. That means you're doing something terribly wrong. Right. So um, there are things that really need to have a certain pace in order to uh, stick in your brain, right? This is, I don't know if you've heard about the forgetting curve, but there is a certain way in which you forget information. And if you do not repeat that piece of information, at a crucial moment, it's like starting over again. Right. So there actually is a frequency that, you know, you cannot um, um, sort of, you know, it's like saying that you, ha you should have at least three hours of Italian or whatever language a week because then there is no point because it looks like you're starting over and over and over and over because your brain just doesn't remember. And it's absolutely natural. It's like, Imagine that you would like to, and this is a good example, actually. Imagine that you would like to learn how to play an extremely difficult piece on a violin. And a really, very challenging one, like, I don't know, the Paganini Caprice 24, which is a brutal thing. Now, imagine that this is very comparable to speaking Mandarin Chinese fluently. Mm -hmm. Now, imagine that you would like to learn that by investing two hours a week or three hours a week. into Doing it nowhere. Yeah, I mean, this, you're not going to learn it. It's just simple as that. So time is maybe more important for me, less important for someone who is looking at languages as a hobby or as a long-term investment. But still, there are some, you know, frequency rules that should be applied. <laughs> maybe I should right. put it like that. Like if you were to give someone seven tips. Seven tips. All right. I have four. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Can I give you four? Sure. I don't have seven. Uh, seven tips how to learn uh, foreign languages effectively or something like that? Well, yeah, you can you can mix it up. I mean, honestly, I'm someone that's a realist. Uh, you know, if you get burned out with learning something for too long, right. you know, I would always say put it down and go do something else. And if you feel the need to come back, come back. If you don't, it's all right. <laughs> so for me, when it comes to... Um, language learning specifically, but I think this can be applied to other things as well. Mm -hmm. um, the first thing is what I do is I learn by using. Like when I wanted to learn how to fly a plane, I just downloaded a flight simulator and I just, just, just tried to fly the plane. And, uh, that's, and then I asked, well, what is this button for? And how do I do this? How do I do that? Instead of having a manual saying, day one, this is a plane. This is, you know, it's just right. reverse learning, basically. Right. So learn by using. When it comes to languages, just speak, listen, read, and sort of deduce. Is this a word? Deduce <laughs> like, yeah. uh, uh, rules from, from the language on your own. Now, some of them are too difficult, I understand. But still, it's 
better to get curious about them first and then have the rule explained to you than the other way around. Like, right. Someone tells you the rule and then you try to understand it and remember it is to me always worse than first noticing something and then having someone explain to you what that something was right. by explaining to you the rule. So learn by using number one, practice, practice, practice. Number two, like as much as you can, this is the Paganini thing, the, the violin piece. If you want to learn how to play the Paganini, you cannot learn it only by investing three hours a week into it it's, you can but it's going to take you forever and you're going to lose motivation and basically right. that's going to mean it's never going to happen right number three be curious be always curious like don't don't digest the information like it's 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 uh i don't know it's like it's sushi you know right. um curious why is this why is that going on why am i hearing this and why am I not hearing that? And why did people say this this way and that that way and stuff like that? So right. be curious. And then uh, think about the language or what you've learned or, or w w what you noticed all the time, even when you're not learning. Basically become obsessive a little bit about it. Because, and the point here is just what we were talking about uh, before about the forgetting curve and how brains forget information. Because, like I said, information gets into your brain, it sticks there, and then its strength starts declining. And if you don't repeat it at a crucial point, that she's going to, she's going to disappear or become very, very weak, and you have to start all over again. But if you're slightly obsessive, and if you keep thinking about uh, the language that you're learning, this is like constant repeat, something like that. And I think um, I've heard several of my friends talk about this um, Luca Lampariello was talking about Richard Simcott and he said, you know what, I, I'm absolutely sure that Richard is thinking about when he was learning Lithuanian, for instance, he's thinking about Lithuanian, Lithuanian all day, not just when he's learning. Like he's, he's going back, you know, in his brain into, uh, into what he was learning, but it's not like a conscious thing. It's just, right. mm -hmm. it's just, you are slightly obsessive when it comes to this. And, and I was thinking about this a lot because now when I almost completely lost motivation for language learning and it's, I think, as hard as me for, as for anyone else, I was thinking, why? why? Why is this happening? Why am I having problems? Why am I, why am I not reading perfectly fluent Latin uh, <laughs> when, when, you know, it's been, what, seven months now since I started? And I'm not learning it anymore, but Latin is not so difficult for, for a person who speaks Italian, right? Right. And I thought, I'm just not motivated. And then I, I kept developing the thought. And I was like, okay, so why, where does this lead me? What is the key failure that I'm making or the key uh, mistake? And I think that one of the key mistakes is that I'm not obsessive enough about uh, the language. I'm not, I, don't, I don't think about it uh, except for when, when, when I read something in, in Latin. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, what happens is my brain just forgets. It, I, don't, I don't give it enough time i don't give it enough intention you know it's the language i mean right um so these are my four points basically learn by using practice 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 be curious and think about the language all the time now, i'm absolutely aware that this is this might not work for everyone but um, i've been thinking about how i learn and how i learned and these are the four rules that basically kind of stick out You know, that's interesting because um, I am someone that right now I'm studying Swedish. I decided for the first time to use Pimsleur because I've been mm -hmm. using Michael Thomas for 
a while. And well, because I'm an auditory person, so I don't meet the idea of me picking up an Aussie mail book. First of all, I, I did Aussie mail Russian through memorize mm-hmm. and I did both parts of it. And, you know, of course it overlaps, the vocabulary overlaps so much mm-hmm. as real. And I said to myself, you know, my whole goal for this whole thing in the beginning was to be able to speak Russian. <laughs> and so, so I, you know, and then I said, I enjoyed it. So I, I got like, in my house, I have a very small library. Um, Swedish, Japanese, Italian, Dutch, French, Egyptian, Arabic, and Russian. Mm-hmm. Uh, I pretty much motivate myself every day to want to learn these languages. Some of them down the road because I'm, I'm spending as much time as I can on um, French right now and um, Swedish because I just started Swedish last week actually. And uh, do you think? Because I don't. Did you ever like learn like Japanese and uh, Arabic, or was it Japanese? Yes, Arabic. No. Okay. Um, was it more important to learn the, you know, speaking aspect more so than, you know, the the writing aspect of it, or did you so, kind of, um, you know, combine the two? So in general, not when it comes specifically to Japanese, um, reading writing for me is very important, but uh, it has its time. Um, and right. place in the learning process. So first I learned how to um, speak and well, understand and speak. Uh, I combined it with a little bit of reading and writing, but I don't want to necessarily be a Shakespeare in, in German, mm-hmm. like, well, <laughs> Shakespeare in German. All right, Goethe in German. Um, so what I want to say is that I prioritize, right? And uh, listening and speaking first and then um, reading and writing later. Uh, but I definitely absolutely think it's very important when it comes to Japanese specifically, when I was learning Japanese, um, I was in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. I was already kind of not really into language learning. And the way I learned it was basically um, there was a Japanese guy in the apartment building where I lived and he came to Taiwan to learn Chinese. So I offered to teach him or to have conversation lessons with him in Chinese in exchange for talking, like basically just chatting in Japanese. And that's how I learned. We, we, just, hang, we just hung out the whole day sometimes and just we spoke in Japanese and Chinese and that's how I learned. So I had I was taking notes and all that, but you know, right. very leisurely. Right. And since I read Chinese quite well, I hope. I mean, I read about uh, something like a hundred books in Chinese, comic books and books in, in total, one hundred. So I think I read pretty well. And of course, uh, Japanese uses a lot of Chinese characters. So right. I hope that in the future, if I decide to learn how to, and I hope this will really happen one day, <laughs> to learn how to speak Japanese really well. I, of course, would love to read and write uh, really well as well. Now, the thing with reading and writing is that, as you mentioned before, we, f- we first learn how to speak and understand and read and write we learn in school later. I think this is a very logical thing that should be preserved in, in language learning as well, even though reading and writing can help you a lot um, in your language learning process if you're learning uh, 
an easier language. But the thing is that once you, if, if you kind of mix up the sequence, like if you learn how to read and write first and then learn how to speak maybe later and understand later, there's a lot of ne negative things that can come out of it. First, for instance, if you learn how to read um, first and speak later uh, and you're not too good with pronunciation, the the writing system can like for instance if you are american and if you're learning italian the pronunciation of letters in american english is going to influence very strongly your pronunciation of italian if you learn italian through reading no matter how hard you try this is just a fact even if you have extremely well-developed hearing and you know and you know how to mimic accents really well the way you pronounce letters in american english in some way or, or another are going to influence your pronunciation in Italian. If you learn how to read first and then learn how to speak, even later. Right. Um, so what I do, personally, what I try to do and, and is to first learn how to speak and, and, and listen and then how to read and write. And another reason why this is good is that once you know how to speak, learning how to read is going to be a, a breeze because basically you're just going to you're just going to learn how to read what you know how to say and what you what you understand already. Whereas if you learn how to if you learn how to read and you don't know, don't don't know anything about the language, it's just going to be uh, double the burden. So, right. same thing with Japanese. Like um, learning how to read Japanese is going to be much easier once I or whoever is learning Japanese has learned how to speak it well. Right. Absolutely not saying that learning how to read and write is a is is less important or not important. I think it's extremely important, and I strongly like strive to do that. But there is just a time and place for that. Right, because I mean, for me, being someone as an auditory learner, I mean, I could still write print, but I don't do it anymore, mainly because of the hand-eye coordination situation, um, and it's too much of a strain on my left eye. Mm -hmm. And after five minutes, I have eye strain headaches for about three days. Mm -hmm. So, like, someone on Facebook asked me, um, would I, because um, they're, they're visually impaired and they're learning Chinese. So they're learning the Braille um, code for Chinese. Mm -hmm. And I said, good luck. Let me know how that goes. Because uh, once I get to Arabic and, 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 and Japanese, um, because I decided to choose a single Asian language to learn. And I chose Japanese. And a lot of it was because I like the way it sounds. Mm -hmm. I like anime and uh, horror Japanese movies. <laughs> that was my motivation. <laughs> no, it's very good. I, I have absolutely nothing against it. Actually, I applaud you because that is the correct motivation <laughs> to have. As opposed to, oh, I might make a lot of money and have a good job learning <laughs> Japanese. If you, if you are emotionally connected to the language, it's always better than having a logical connection. I mean, that's just like with Russian, for instance. I love all things, you know, Russian. I mean, like, I actually finally, I don't know what happened in my head one morning, but or one night, rather. I was sitting up there. I said, okay, let me, let me type in binary mail. Mm -hmm. Turn around. I dictated it into the phone and I was on YouTube like I always am and I wanted to listen to the audiobook so I listened to it in Russian and I started to understand what was being said finally mm -hmm. it all clicked after like 40 months of, of <laughs> language and 
I was just so happy about it. I started crying. Like, mm. like a big breakthrough for me because I love to read. And my mother put mm. up my hand at age four. Mine was a large print book and it was Sesame Street, but I still <laughs> learned. I, you know, I've always loved books and literature and history and politics. And so, I mean, I spent a whole year listening to RT News. Mm-hmm. And then the Russian channel that I had with my cable subscription when I had cable. And I just listened to Putin like talk all day. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know people think I'm crazy for that, but <laughs> I learned so much. Well, he's a very good speaker. I'm not going to yeah, lie. Yeah, he is. You know, and, and I chose like somebody to listen to that I can understand their accent. But I'm one of those people where I don't care how strong your accent is. I can still understand you. Mm-hmm. so for me personally it was like I was just happy you know I would it, it finally clicked for me now does my writing suck I'm yeah <laughs> I'm not gonna lie I don't really do a lot of writing because I guess my whole aim for me personally I want to speak I want to have a conversation with somebody mm-hmm. you know I don't want to have to type out everything I want to say you know mm-hmm. I just Verbally come out and say it, whether it's grammatically correct or not. Um, you know, because evidently Russian is not my native tongue. But, you know, I feel so connected to it. You know, mm-hmm. you you kind of feel Russian when you're speaking it, you know. And you're listening to, like, I'll watch, like, um, Andreas Iagensis. I don't know if you've watched any of his movies. No. Um, he he did Leviathan, Alina, uh, Leboeuf. Loveless. He just made. It just came out with last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did the Banishment and Return. Those mm-hmm. like movies, and so he's like really like famous Russian director, and like um, I enjoy his movies. Uh, I started to read the Metro series. I don't know if you read that. Nope. It's a science fiction book. Um, it's like translated in God knows how many languages. Um, I've read uh, Igrat Postolov, um, Gary Vater, uh, Prostoplania, and The Idiot, and, st- you know, it was like, why do you want to read all that? And I'm like, because I love, I love Russian literature, just like I love French literature. And, and do you read it, how do you read it? You read it, like, in, it's not the translation, right? You You read the Russian original, or you listen to it, or how do you do it? Yes, I listened to the Russian original. All right. In Russian. Now, I do have the ebooks in Russian. Mm-hmm. And so, what I do is I connect my Braille display via Bluetooth to my phone or my iPad. Mm-hmm. And I will go into iBooks and I will open the book up and uh, the Braille will come on the display. And mm-hmm. I'll be able to scan and I'll be able to read it with my fingers in Russian Braille. Mm hmm. So how, how, how quickly can you read like that, like one page? Or it's really well, interesting, you know. I mean, it's a slow process because it's not the physical paper. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's on braille paper. I can read like hard copy book, um, a lot quicker than I do electronically. It's mm-hmm. still a work in progress, but I get more out of it. Like what I'll do is I'll I have like all the languages that I'm currently learning on my phone. And I'll just, you know, go counterclockwise 
on my phone until I get to languages and then I'll just swipe down to whatever language and then I'll um, go left or right to get out of that and then I'll let voiceover speak in that language and read me the book. Mm -hmm. I'll just do like a a two finger swipe down and I'll let voiceover read me the entire book in that language. But but if you read in braille, how quickly can you read one page for instance? Um, Well, it shouldn't take me but maybe about five minutes if that. Um, And if it's English? Yeah. Well, yeah. English. Now, if I know the language, like I know Spanish, it doesn't take me long. Um, mm-hmm. um, because I took Spanish over 17 years ago. So mm-hmm. I remember it like verbatim. But I mean, I learned it by ear because they gave me a textbook and they gave me CDs. And I went down to a learning center and had people read me the whole damn gone thing. And I, <laughs> I learned the language just by listening. I mean, literally, I had no one to talk well, that, to. I mean, but that's, that's fantastic. I mean, this is uh, great. That's, I think, how people should mainly learn. Right. I mean, and, and I'm, I'm going to be honest. I didn't realize I was fluent in, in Spanish until I was talking to somebody from Colombia on WhatsApp. And they were like, Chanel, do you realize you're fluent in Spanish? And I'm like, I thought I sucked for all this time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I mean, it gives me motivation because a lot of people don't understand. You know, they think that because you have a visual impairment, I'm, I could see the bigger picture. So, like, let's say we met, like, at a language conference. Because I've seen what you look like on Facebook. I'd probably be able to point you out. Or, like, if I hear your voice, oh, that's Vladimir. Oh, awesome. <laughs> well, you know, I could see people. I just can't see the small details. Mm-hmm. So, like, I wouldn't be able to see your eye color unless I was, like, three feet in front of you. Mm-hmm. So, anything three feet beyond three feet, distance-wise, I cannot read. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you what a house looks like, what the sky looks like, what the moon and sun and the clouds look like. But mm-hmm. if you ask me what the constellation Leo was, as an example, I wouldn't be able to tell you because that's too small. Mm-hmm. Or if we pick up a newspaper, I can tell you what the big headline says, but in the print underneath it that's in 12 size font, I couldn't tell you that because that's too small. Mm-hmm. So and basically, co- colors you can see, no problem, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I can see actual things clearly out of my left eye um but i can't it's it's more the small details Mm -hmm. like like okay i used to be able to read on a page looking down at the page glancing all the words on the page and then just start typing Mm -hmm. like a normal person would do but as time went on my retinopathy of prematurity which is my eye condition um Mm -hmm. it became worse so the older I get, the worse it gets. Um, I actually, the last time I was able to read the, the words on a computer screen was about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I mostly use text-to-speech. Um, I was using Windows. I did use JAWS for Windows for eight years, but I got tired of paying for the upgrades. Because they were <laughs> the amount of money to pay for upgrades for three programs that I had, a magnifying program called ZoomText. And then uh, um, text um, scanning software called OpenBook and JAWS. It, I could have bought a Mac, mm-hmm. I, you know, a MacBook or something, you know, for the amount of money I was spending on upgrade. And so I, as a result of that, um, I decided to go with a Mac like eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And 
and learn how to use voiceover. But I'm more, I like using my phone and my tablets more so with a Braille display or a Bluetooth keyboard than I do like sitting at a computer. Mm-hmm. After a while, it gets old. And then mm-hmm. you have to memorize all these keyboard strokes and all. And I am not the most technology based person. Hush, Bono. Sorry. That's my guide dog, Lanny. <laughs> he's in his crate and he doesn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so yeah, I, I mostly, um, I learn everything by ear, everything. And I have a didactic memory. So like you can tell me something and I probably remember it 20 years from now. Mm-hmm. And I mean, some people don't remember what happened 20 years, from now. Mm-hmm. but, but I mean, I, I, I've always been someone that loves to learn and, and I mean, I did at one point want to go to law school, but I decided not to because I was going to school since I was four. So I did not want to be in school for that long. So I decided after changing my major seven times, theater was it. And then I went in the film and then I came home and helped my aunt with my grandparents because my grandfather was dying of double cancer. And he helped, he helped, um, uh, finished the job that my mom couldn't finish because she passed away 19 years ago due to endocarditis. And she was 38 and I was going on 22. So her being a single parent and never going to high school, her whole thing was she was happy. She died happy knowing that her daughter, who was disabled and had other health issues at the time, um, since grew out of them, um, was graduating from high school. So I, I think overall at 41, she would probably be very happy to know that her daughter is living on her own and and has graduated from college and film school and has certification to teach English and, and wants to work with immigrants and that's another thing that motivates me to learn languages is to be able to communicate with people from other countries especially Arabic um, because we have a high concentration here in Akron of Arabic speakers, Chinese speakers, Korean speakers, Japanese, um, you know, Hispanic, of course, people who speak French and Russian and um, Urdu and Pushtu and Dari and uh, Nepali and Kirin, which is a dialect of, um, from Yemen, which used to be Burma. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and then some people speak Pennsylvania Dutch and Italian. So, I mean, all the languages that I have in my my repertoire of languages that I can speak to some level. Um, I want to be able to, you know, work with people, um, you know, with their English. And I even thought about going back to school and getting my master's in like international relations because I'm, I'm a very big politic person. And so, um, you know, I believe in like human rights and, and, you know, that, that women have the right to be educated regardless of where they are and, and people shouldn't be discriminated because of their disability or their sexual orientation or, you know, whatever. It, you know, we, we should be able to coincide as a global community regardless of politics, religion, economics, education, so forth and so on. And so I guess that's my reason for also for having a podcast is to help the people that I'm helping freelance for free right now, um, you know, understand English a lot better 
and be able to understand that, you know, there's a wider world out there and that there are people out there that are disabled or non-disabled who are really doing great things. And I do have a, a small following of people right now, and I've only been doing this since May. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I that's my main motivation for why I want to learn languages in the first place. But I mean, not, I pretty much want to speak them more so than, okay, I want to, you know, dissect the grammar of Chinese. First of all, no, I don't. I mean, yes. Do I want to speak <laughs> eventually? Yes. Do I know that that's going to be a language where I spend about three to four years of my life? Yeah. <laughs> I know this because life is hard. Um, just being able to keep your bills paid and, and your rent and having food and, you know, and the fact remains is that, like, if I can communicate with someone else that doesn't speak my mother tongue, that goes a long way. That is true. You know, so I just, you know, I guess I look at it in that regards. I would rather learn how to say, uh hello, how are you, thank you, no thank you, nice to meet you, my name is, and goodbye, you know, I will see you next time. You know, if you just learn that in whatever language it is you want to learn, that's going a long way. And I've found that a lot of people are very happy with if you knew how to say hello and goodbye and thank you. Because yeah, it really, it really does go a long way. Now, imagine if you can, you can actually speak the language even better than that. And you can just, you know, um, right. exchange, uh, have an intellectual exchange in the native language of that person. There's this thing, however, which is, oh, it's a slightly different uh, topic. So I don't know if we should talk about that. But um, yeah, maybe I can mention it. It's something that I've been thinking about lately. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if you heard about the Uncanny Valley um, thing no it's basically the uncanny that well very uh simply explained is basically as you're approaching uh the level of a native speaker mm-hmm. people start treating you actually worse than as a complete beginner so it happened to me many times right you say you just started started out learning chinese and you're able to say hello and uh uh, Chinese people go crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you speak almost as good as them, you're basically starting to be one of them and you're not good enough. But this is absolutely normal. This is absolutely normal. It's the same thing for any language, any any nationality. Right. Um, so as you're approaching the level of a native speaker and you become basically a native speaker, you are a very limited native speaker almost a mentally like disabled native speaker so to speak and of course native speakers just you're not good enough for them it's a it's a very sort of um mental thing i would say and the Mm -hmm. uncanny valley it is called the uncanny valley because if you look at the graph Mm -hmm. of uh of how your perception of uh of, of your language by native speakers is evolving so it starts going up really sharp even mm-hmm. if you just know how to say hello and then, then it kind of flats out 
as it is approaching the maximums. And then suddenly when it's very close to the native speaker point, it just falls all the way down to maybe 20% like approval. <laughs> like, you know, like I get this all the time. Oh, your German is pretty good. <laughs> but my German is, you know, there were times when my German was almost as good as my native Slovak and definitely right. as good as my English is now. So right. if you say this is pretty good, then what is good th then, you know? I mean, you know what I want to say? Like, pretty good to me is not good enough uh, when, when you, are, you really feel like you, you um, have been at a native speaker's level at some point. And, but on the other hand, if you are a complete beginner and you say, uh, hi, my name is Vladimir in German, and everyone's like, wow, good job, wonderful, you know, it's amazing how well you can speak German. So this is the uncanny valley uh, theory. And it's, by the way, not related to languages uh, only. You can see this with uh, robots, for instance, like human-looking robots. When you have this little uh, robot dog, everyone is like, wow, that's so cute and amazing how many things it can do. And as soon as you have robots that are approaching, like with their visual, uh, they're approaching humans, Mm -hmm. they, start to be, they start to be really creepy at some point. Like, oh, okay, so this looks almost human, but you can see that's a robot. I'm scared of that. And then that appreciation for the resemblance is falling right. all the way to the point when it's undistinguishable from a human being. And then you're like, oh, yeah, it's, 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 it's amazing again. But that uncanny valley is very frustrating <laughs> is what, what well, I want to say. I ask you a question because I talked about this yesterday, and I, I, I love doing my rants. Um. But here in the U.S., we have an issue where the Hispanic population, which is about to dominate the Caucasian population another 22 years, they're about to take it over, okay, <laughs> as being the number one in the country, you know, as far as, as you know, population yeah. goes. Well, evidently, they don't want to lose their heritage, and I don't blame them. I wouldn't either. They speak in Spanish. You have someone from Tejas or Colorado, Utances, who wants to speak, who does not speak a lick of Spanish. And the first thing they say to you is, you're in America, you need to speak English. We don't speak that here. But then the Spanish speaker says, well, I don't speak English very well. I mean, and, and maybe they, that's all they can muster up in, in the li limited English they have. Um, what do you think about that scenario of, 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 you know, someone saying you because you're speaking your native tongue? I think it's the thing that is most disturbing to me in this, and there are it's a huge sort of the issue, the complexity of the whole thing is, you know, we could talk about this for hours, but the disturbing thing here is that the person who says you are in America, you should speak English is probably uh, not living a very healthy mental life because, right. and is not a happy person in the first place, because if you are living a happy, fulfilled life, like, for instance, if someone just gives you a billion dollars, cures all of, the, all of your sicknesses, makes you look like all the best-looking models in the world with a happy family, you have no need to be negative like that to people. Right. So that just tells me that that person is at a very dark place. 
or very insecure or for some reason something's not going right and all of a sudden they have a vulnerable person on the other side like let's say mexican doesn't speak really well english really well right. and they just use like they 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 vent this frustration at a point where they know they're in a position of power and they can say that and it's Again, it's a complex issue because on the other hand, I think that if someone is living in the United States, working there, that person should do their best to learn English. I, th I think so. But at the same time, I, I really just don't think it's fair to, to say something like that to people. We have a similar situation here in the south of Slovakia where there is a very big Hungarian minority. Mm -hmm. And I heard this many times. I mean, same thing like you are in Slovakia, you should speak Slovakian. And uh, yes, you you, I think uh, you should do your best to learn Slovak. But if you have an accent, it doesn't really, it doesn't bother me at all. I mean, if you're doing your best, then it's okay. If you can function in Slovak, if, if, if the accent is all, all you have, that is a, that, that is a problem for someone, somebody else. I, I really don't see that as a problem. But if you are here, um, and you don't speak a word of Slovak. Now, that is a little bit, I'm undecided on that. I, personally, I would never do that. Um, and I don't understand this mentality. Even if you live, even if you live in, in, a, in a, there are places in Slovakia where there's like 99% Hungarian population. So you literally do not need to speak Slovak to survive. Right. But I mean, still, it's, it's a little bit weird. I, my personal Life has, you know, I've always tried to learn the language of the country where I live. So this right. is a little bit weird. How we're going back to your, your example saying that, you know, you, this is America, you should speak English. Right. This is just misusing the position of power. And right. um, I just think that person is at a, at a very, very dark place, you know, and I just want to get out of the way of, of people like that as quickly as I can. Yeah, because, I mean, a friend of mine posted this up on Facebook, and I had some words to say, so I just sat up there and did a live video last night and did a lovely rant about how I felt about it, which, I, you know, like over 50 people watched it. <laughs> um, you know, because when I do my political rants, and I'm talking about language preservation, or I'm talking about, you know, who the heck are you to sit there and say that someone can't speak a language or they shouldn't learn a language or they shouldn't. You see what I'm saying? Because life is just too short. If you're going to learn something, you know, make sure you're passionate about it. And it's really something that you're motivated to take on for the long haul, because it's not going to be a cakewalk, whatever that yeah. thing may be. And, and love what, and remember why you're doing it to begin with. Like, I had interviewed Chris Brohome as an example uh, a couple of weeks ago. And um, last year, I was a guest on his show um, to talk about, uh, you know, my language learning journey and how I started learning languages. And, I mean, foreign languages, I learned Spanish. Then <laughs> 15 years down the road, I learned Russian, which I taught myself, you know. I didn't go to a university. I didn't do any of that. I just went to the library and got, you know, whatever they had and used it. And I used the internet and I started making friends and I started talking to people, you know, so that was my whole process. However, um, cause he was saying, we were talking about the, the motivation factor of learning a language and how after a certain period of time, once you start 
you know, getting into it at first, you think it's really cool. And then let's say about three, four years go by, you get, you start to become disinterested because it's not as fun anymore. Or you think of it as a chore or, you know, life just gets in the way because you have other things going on in your life. So, and that's understandable because we all have bills to pay and we all have this to do and that to do. And, um, he was saying to me, he said, I, I had to sit back and think, was this really something that I really want anymore? You know, because I guess someone took him aside at one of the conferences and asked him, was this something you want? Do you still want to keep doing this? You know, because if you're not happy, don't do it anymore. You know, and I always tell people that if you want to learn something. I don't know. You, If you're like, um, I'll use Robin McPherson as a prime example of this, and I still can't believe he did it, but he did. This hmm. guy wrote a book in a year, learned, I think, like four different languages in that same year, and taught himself computer code. How to write code and build a web page for his Kuma brand. And now he is working in Ford Company in San Francisco right now, mm-hmm. doing code at the age of 27. I was blown away. I was completely blown away by that. And uh, I said, well, hell, if he can do it, anybody. <laughs> anybody. <laughs> I mean, and those are the type of stories that really get me. Like, you know, you, he was like, I enjoy, you know, languages. I thought I might want to go back, but to get another degree, but I decided I wanted to do this instead. And I mean, like I, I followed his whole YouTube thing where he was talking about how he became homeless and all this. And I, and he said, you know, his love for languages and his love for, you know, life itself and that he really wanted to do something that was meaningful, you know, kept him going. And, and, and the people on YouTube and, Anybody else that was around at the time, you know, helped him get there. But I'm just curious, like, I mean, we talked earlier about how you said that, you know, of course, you have since retired from language learning. Do you do you have any advice for, like, people who they started wanting to, you know, do this and then they just burn out? <laughs> no, because I did not. Uh, get over the burnout yet so i don't know what uh what advice to give i don't even think it's a burnout i think it's just um a phase of my life that ended right essentially and uh it's, it's just time to move on and maybe uh, well, maybe maybe later i would like to uh maybe i don't know learn another language but right now i don't feel i mean I am interested and I would love to learn how to read Latin. I mean, love to read Latin fluently, but I just don't, I, I just don't have the, the motivation in me to do it, to dedicate myself to it. Because like, very frankly, like, for instance, now I was recently, I started to read, like I mentioned, uh, a lot about philosophy and books written by philosophers. And I was doing that for like 10, 12 hours a day. I had a, a 37 or 38 page uh, a document worth of notes that I was taking 
um, and that happened in like uh, in three or four days. So I was right. really, really into it. Right. And this is this is what happens when I am when I, you know, when a person is motivated. Right. And uh, I just don't feel that with Latin. I just don't feel that with any any you know any languages right now. So philosophy, yes. Uh, art, music, classical music, yes. But right, right. Languages are you know it's just a phase that that ended. So no, I don't have any any advice. I'm sorry. Oh no, that's okay. I mean, I definitely understand. I mean, you know, I'm more of a realist. If I went through that whole phase where I had lost, like I was like 215 at one point. And then I wound up losing like in five years, going from 215 to 145. And well, I mean, they had to take out a seven pound fibroid tumor out of my uterus. Um, that was the size of a cooking pan. And it went from my belly button all the way to my chest. So when they took it out, it was at my chest. Mm. And um, thank God it wasn't life-threatening. <laughs> but I was 34 years old, and the doctor's talking about, you want a hysterectomy now? I'm like, no. <laughs> you know, because at <laughs> this point in my life, I didn't know if I wanted to have kids. I didn't know if I were to get with someone. Mm-hmm. And then I said, okay. I was into the whole, okay, I'm going to get fit. I want to be a personal trainer like Jillian Michaels. I mean, literally, I have all her stuff. <laughs> still <laughs> and and I mean I really did I really thought that was but then it, it burned out mm-hmm. and I found something else so I because I had I had given Chris Brohan some really great advice I said okay you might not like the process of learning languages okay fine you may not feel that it's right for you okay you're only 30 you have a lot of life to live, and a, you know, and to be able to experience what's out there, you know, really, you know, because I mean, evidently, you're, he's going through what most people that go are thirty go through that whole transitional period of the twenties to the thirties, and you really don't know what's on the other side of the horizon just yet. I mean, you're you're trying to figure out where where you fit in the world. What, what type of contribution you can make in your own right, you know, all, you know, just life in general is just right there standing right in front of you and you, you really don't know what to do. Some people go through this. I mean, I did. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, whatever makes you happy is what you go for. And he thanked me for the advice because I said, well, honey, I'm 41. I, I, I know what that's like. You know, I know what it's like to move, not out of the country. But, you know, when you're in the United States, the United States is so big. It's like being in another country. So, yeah. <laughs> so as a result of that, you know, I know what it's like to move. I know what it's like to live with your parents or have to go back home. And I know what it's like to go get through jobs and and, you know, you're trying to find your way pretty much through life. And it, it's just, it's hard, you know, and then you have friends, you, you get into an environment where you have friends and you made friends and that, that is doing this great thing that you like. And at first it starts off being really great. And then afterwards the reality sets in, well, what am I going to do with it? Yeah. What am I, what, what, you know, now I'm just curious as far as your work that you do professionally 
does the you know like your Chinese and your Slovak and your English it it actually does help you know your career that you do in you know reality um so this is basically my career i i, I am an interpreter of uh mandarin chinese english and slovak okay. sometimes uh, sometimes other languages but uh usually these are the main mm-hmm. ones and um honestly i i think i've reached the end of the line when it comes to this like it's something that i think can support me but is not something that i would like to do um it, interesting job but you know right. something that maybe i can do on the side but not something that i would like to do as the main thing right. and um what i enjoy like <laughs> it's funny but everyone maybe or a lot of people say this but i really would like to somehow contribute to humanity and so far what i found that i enjoy really a lot mm-hmm. is uh to do well I think science is very important. And unfortunately, I haven't studied real science, like I'm not a physicist or whatever. But I did, I do have a bachelor's degree in Chinese studies. Mm-hmm. And there is a small part of science in it, well, actually a pretty big one, depending on what you do. But, and that is uh, deciphering ancient Chinese texts, which have never been translated into English or not even Mandarin Chinese. And so this is what I've been doing recently. Uh, I've been translating old Chinese texts into Slovak and into English. And even though like not a lot of people read my work, of course, because I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't publish. I just put it on my blog and right. uh, whoever lands on my blog will read it. Uh, but that is not important. Um, the important thing for me is that I am doing I'm creating something really meaningful to me, I think, personally. Um, I'm adding in a very, very small, small way to mm-hmm. the scientific pool of, of human discoveries. And um, this is what I've been trained to do. I mean, la- there is nothing that I can do better than uh, learn foreign languages or speak foreign languages this, right. in, for, for me personally. So um, I was trying to look for something scientific that I can, I can do with that, like I said, to maybe to add in a very, very small way to the, to the scientific pool of discoveries of humanity. And I found that, yes, uh, there's Chinese archaeology and then stuff like that, but there are also these ancient Chinese texts that have never been deciphered or translated and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes quite a bit of expertise to be able to do that. It's very, very hard. It's challenging. I enjoy it when it has all, you know, when, a, when the process has all these qualities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you need to, obviously, you need to be quite well versed in classical Chinese and modern Chinese. You need to understand how, you know, uh, these Chinese texts work. We're well aware of the reality of the period from where the Chinese text is from. So maybe two, three thousand, thousand years ago. Right. And all that is quite challenging. And um, I'm not doing, you know, this is not, I don't do this every day for hours, but I do a little bit every day. And yeah, it's actually quite fulfilling. I'm very happy about that because I was quite lost in terms of what I thought was the purpose of sort of my productive life here uh, right. on, on this world. And I really did realize that science is something that is, to me, I really admire scientists a lot. And especially those who come up with really important discoveries. Uh, about you know human humanity and science and so on, and I was really sad that I didn't study anything like that, because I more and more I realized that that is something that I find really meaningful. But luckily, I found this little way for me to contribute to science as well. So 
That is so awesome because I mean I I remember you putting up something once and I was like what the heck is this? What? <laughs> <laughs> and then you had to translate and tell me it was your name and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that was you know what that was I translated the art of war into Slovak. Uh huh. And uh, that might have been that because that wasn't Slovak so. Right. Maybe when you when you when you let it like when you use your uh, text to speech thing then yeah. yeah because see it will it will see with with voiceover or MVDA or um, Jaws for Windows it'll read the actual text it will read typed text but if mm-hmm. it's like anything that's like handwritten no or mm-hmm. if it's a picture unless someone has you know, put some type of caption on it, like words underneath it mm-hmm. to describe what's a, what's going on, it will not read it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times that people send me a JPEG, I'm like, I can't read this. <laughs> I might, you might, I might be able to see the picture, but voiceover can't read this unless it's in a text file. If it's not in HTML, um, Daisy Digital Format or MP3 for audio, um, TXT or um, yeah, or Rich Text Format for the Mac. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm screwed. Mm-hmm. Now, if you sent me something like, let's say you sent me an ebook, and it was in Chinese. Okay, this is the cool part. I can upload it. I can download it. Upload it to my, you know, my iBooks. I can open it up, and I could take my Braille display, and I can pair it up with my phone, you know, just go and, you know, type in the pen and everything and it'll do like a little sound and I'll, you know, and then the braille come up and everything and it'll be in terminal mode and I'll navigate or whatever I'm going to do, whatever stroke I have to do. And then I'll be able to read the Japanese characters on my, or the Chinese characters on my braille display because Chinese is supported on my braille display. Mm-hmm. So as long as it's whatever language it's in, it has to be 17 different languages. So, mm-hmm. so I have a question. Um, so if, for instance, you have a Chinese character, right? Let's say the easy one, the, the like number one, just one stroke. How is it displayed to you? How, how can you read it on your Braille display? Does it have, uh, so every character has its own code or? Well, I've never done Chinese yet. I'm using what's in Japanese. Oh, all right. I get it. Okay. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so as long as it's written out in that language, there is a braille code, by the way, I could learn Chinese braille. Now I wouldn't have to learn all 10,000 characters. Okay. I would probably have to learn 50 to a hundred. But is it, is it, what I'm wondering now is do they have one code per character or do they? I don't know yet. I'll have to let you know when I start learning Chinese. Because what I'm guessing in when it comes to Japanese, they probably just coded in hiragana and katakana into right. Braille. And when it comes to Chinese, probably maybe they only coded pinyin. Yeah, I'm guessing. I don't know, but right. maybe. Well, I mean, I, when, was, when was Chinese I, Braille invented, you think? Actually, it's kind of funny because for the life of me, I'm a big history buff. So anything that happened before the 16th century, I'm all about. So I guess that's why I like Russian and French and English and Arabic and Japanese and Chinese because all these languages were before, you know, it, mm-hmm. they, they lasted over a thousand years. Mm-hmm. 
So I guess I look at it from a historical standpoint, that's kind of cool as well. Um, I actually do enjoy um, Middle Eastern history, Russian history, and um, Asian history, especially Chinese history. I, I found that because I actually took a, a world history course in Braille, long distance through the Hadley School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Illinois. And so as a result of that, um, I read over 500 pages of Braille longhand. Um, and, and, you know, I had, you know, to do the lesson at the end, you know, you had to write all this stuff, every chapter you had to read and blah, blah, blah. So when, when it got to, you know, certain parts of, of history, I, what stuck out to me was Russian history, Chinese history, and, you know, just how significant the whole situation of them being conquered by the Mongols and then, the, and then them being conquered by, you know, the Dutch and the English and the Americans. And, you know, they pretty much were, as far as I'm concerned, blackmailed, manipulated, um, <laughs> you know, because their their whole culture and their whole system is, is such a beautiful uh, history. I mean, yes, there was a lot of violence and a lot of uprising and, you know, the different dynasties and so forth and so on. But at the end of the day, when you look at what they created, you know, like the Great Wall of China, for instance, I would love to go see the Great Wall of China, but I couldn't go with someone that's visually impaired by myself. I have to go with someone that's sighted because they're not going to take me up on the lift to go see the wall because mm -hmm. they disability rights. They don't have any. Mm -hmm. You know, so people that are blind and visually impaired, they might get an education, but they're heard about, they're not seen. Not like in Europe or in the United States or Australia or Russia, where they actually can get an education, they actually can get married and have rights and so forth. It's not like that, you know. And there are some countries where blind people are shunned. They don't have any rights, no rights to education or nothing. Afghanistan is one of them. Iran is another place. And it's pretty bad, you know. So, I mean, I actually was asked to help someone learn Braille. And they were from Afghanistan, and they spoke Dari. So I went out to the library, got Pimsley Dari, and started learning basic words in order to communicate because I knew this person probably didn't know a lick of English. I met the person. They had their interpreter there. They didn't know how to say hello, goodbye, my name is, thank you very much. It's nice to meet you. Anything that is simple. They didn't know how to do in English and they were taking English classes, but they here in Akron, but it just wasn't sticking and they were blind and they had no formal education whatsoever. They were not educated at all because they weren't allowed to be. And they had came over from Afghanistan. So that right there was a main motivation for me to be like, I need to learn Arabic. I need to learn this language. I need to be able to communicate with these people because 90% of the time, they're not going to be able to communicate with me very well in English. So mm -hmm. I better damn well know how to, to successfully have at least a B1 in speaking so I can get across what I need to get across. To, to be able to help them. But I told him I wouldn't be able to help him because he needs to be fluent in English. He has to be able to read and write and communicate what he wants and needs. And if he can't do that, nobody's going to be able to work with him. And that is the truth. Like, I 
it was such a language barrier. I just didn't have time, you know, and I, it wasn't like I was getting paid for this. I wasn't getting paid at all. This mm. would have been on my own free time. And it was, I felt so bad, you know, cause I really wanted to help this person. They were like 40 years old mm-hmm. and they had a wife and kid and their, their wife didn't know English either. She had just had a baby and I was just like, <laughs> yeah, but right now, since I am picking up Swedish, um, I don't know why, but for some reason it was pulling at me that I wanted to learn Swedish. And so I have friends that have the ability to, to get me material that I'm looking for in audio format. And someone that I know that's blind that lives in Sweden is sending me a, the Braille copy in Swedish Braille. And I don't even know a lick of Swedish Braille yet, but I will. Um, the um, Dragon Tattoo series. Mm-hmm. The Dragon Tattoo. So I, I have all three books in Daisy Digital. I can listen to them on my iPad Pro. And then I have Harry Potter and about French, Italian, Swedish, Norwegian, Russian, Dutch, and audio. And then I have Italian and ebook, Romanian and ebook, two Dutch and ebook, uh, Swedish and ebook, two Norwegian ebook. All of the ones, all the Russian ebook, and oh, I have Polish ebook and ebook, um, two Brazilian Portuguese ebook and Turkish ebook of Harry Potter. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I never read Harry Potter. Uh, not even no, no. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I mean, there are other things I like to read. But I guess because I read that so much, I thought it would be a great frame of reference for me. And plus, I'm one of those people I like to look at the language and see the different translation and how it kind of converted over from English to this particular language, mm-hmm. um, more so than anything. So, yeah. And then I, of course, I love Icarapostola. I just got finished reading it, listening to it in French, all of the books in French. And mm-hmm. I was able to understand a lot of it. I never saw any of that either. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh man, you're probably the only person that I met so far that said they've never seen Game of Thrones. Never, no, I don't even know, no. Oh wow! Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I don't have a TV actually. I didn't. I, I didn't watch TV since 2002. Wow. Well, don't yeah. feel. I haven't listened to the radio since 2002. Oh, I love radio. And I, you I know, love- obviously use internet, but I just feel like TV is a terrible waste of time. Um, so. I, I've gotten to the point now because I've studied like theater and film in college. I'm more of an artistic person. I mean, I love music. I mean, I played the piano for like eight months. But um, I'm not like the most gifted musician on the face of the planet but um you know i mean i'll sing some rammstein in german every once in a while and Mm. a lot of um spanish music i I like to sing so i mean i like my rap and that's another thing that connects me with language is if i can find rap like in french or russian or italian or something i i finally found a rap station in italian oh really yes (laughs) 
So I, I tune in radio. But is, here's the thing. Is it is it like this um, terrible, I don't know what to call it, really, just this terrible, terrible rap with no Not melody and no meaning and nothing? Or is it this non-commercial? I find that non-commercial rap is, is usually quite good. And there are some, there's this, the, the grandfather of Italian rap who uh, passed away a long time ago, his name is Joe Cassano. And uh -huh. he had some really, really nice, nice rap songs. Those very old songs from the 90s, maybe even. Right. Um, the same thing for, for, for Russians and, uh, and all other places. Of course, like the commercial rap is good too, but non-commercial rap is usually wonderful. So. I love finding people. Like, I'm a big music buff. Um, I actually had to start all over because all my, my entire music library five years ago got stolen from me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was a lot of CDs, man. I had so much stuff. You name it, I probably had it. And um, so I'm starting over. <laughs> mm -hmm. And But I love music. And I used to sit up there and go and find like the little shops when they still sold CDs. And I would find stuff that nobody would know nothing about and, mm -hmm. buy, and it would be really good like i mean i used to listen to porter's head and puddle of mud and and the calling and nickelback and and keen and i just it just depends on what it, i mean because i was into like house music and i was i wasn't into metal but i liked romstein because my friend turned me on the romstein so i still you know i'll sit there and listen to do host and i mean i've been listening to the same album for 20 years you know and people don't don't realize that like th that's the only reason i have a connection with german is because of of, of rammstein and um i mean yes would i like to read Goethe? oh that'd be fun <laughs> oh it is <laughs> it definitely is you know so i mean but i i find things that interest me per se like i know that it's going to take me some time to learn the braille codes for every single language i want to learn but i do i enjoy the whole aspect of just sitting back and listening to something and in in the language or if like netflix for instance is my friend so i'll do like the different netflix programs and then i'll go to the audio on my apple tv because i have voiceover so I'm able to navigate with the remote and everything independently and it reads it to everything to me. And so I'll go to the audio and they'll have your, your normal languages, your European languages, your Spanish and Italian, French, German. And so if I feel like it, I'll, since I'm studying French at the moment, I'll put it in French and then I'll go like to house of cards and I'll start from year one, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'll listen to the whole thing in French you know to see how much I get out of it because I've already watched it in English so I know what's going on so I, I do that because that way you know it, it gives me more um, vocabulary to, to pull from and because I like politics and stuff like that I, I pretty much do that for that reason like I'll watch France 24 um um, channel on my on my Apple TV every morning for like two three hours. Mm -hmm. You know I could be cleaning my house and it'd be going on. And I you know I, I get a lot of vocab political political vocabulary how people are actually speaking per se. 
um because i mean a lot of times you can you can do like um you know tv shows i I think that's great but when you want to hear somebody really talk listen to like a podcast or listen like uh uh a news program or some type of like court show or you see what I'm saying? Something where they're having real dialogue. And so I pretty much do that. That's what I did with Russian. I just sat there and had the Russian TV on 24 hours a day. You know, I wouldn't watch nothing. Else. Well, I mean, I did watch other things. I mean, I had no choice. I got yeah. to keep my shows. But I would do that. And I mean, I got to the point where I was thinking in Russian and you know, I picked up the curse words in Russian, even though I would never curse in Russian. I might curse in, you know, English. But, you know, you don't need to be fluent in English to know what the curse words in English are. I mean, that's obvious. But in Russian, there's just a certain, I'm a totally different person when I'm speaking it, as opposed to when I'm speaking English or if I'm speaking French. Um, I don't know about you, if you when you're speaking whatever language you're speaking, do you become a different, does your personality change? No, no, I was talking about this. Actually, I made a video about that uh, earlier, um, last year, I think it was. Um, People frequently say this. They say that their personality changes with whatever language they speak. But I think that if you speak the language really, really well, your personality should not change. And the the reason why... um, Maybe the only reason why I think this is so, so probably this is not very scientific, but whatever, is that um, completely, like perfectly bilingual people, um, for instance, in Slovakia, right? Hungarian, Slovak bilinguals, or Mm -hmm. if you have Spanish, uh, American bilinguals or whatever, their personality is the same, almost the same, whether they speak English or uh, Spanish or English uh, or Slovak and Hungarian. Even like when I was in Taiwan, I met um, American born Chinese. And they were also perfectly bilingual in Chinese and English. Not perfectly, but very, very close. And they they had the same personality in both languages. Like you could, there was a guy who was a Canadian born Chinese. And he was very, very not Taiwanese in the sense that uh, Taiwanese people are, you know, um, uh, more quiet and uh, do not tend to stand out of the crowd and stuff like that. But this guy was, this guy was a complete, like almost like an American guy, you know, and yeah. even when he, even when he was speaking Chinese, but his Chinese was like spot on. It was perfect. So right. yes, his personality in Chinese, his personality didn't change regardless of whether he was speaking right. English or, or Chinese. So that's why I think that um, if you speak the language really, 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 really well, that means that, you know, you grew up with it and you, you were speaking at, it at several stages of your life. That means that right. you have you have acquired um, ways of speaking when you were a child, a teenager, a grown up, possibly as a university student. So you have all this this all around sort of uh, capacity to speak the language as, as, as any way you wish. Right. Your personality shouldn't change. But if you are if you are a grown up person learning Italian, and maybe you are just going to to to, uh, to mimic the people that you learn it from. Right. And but these people, these people are not necessarily what you would be had you grown up in Italian society, you know, so you would be probably completely different. You would just be yourself speaking, you know, speaking, learning, growing up, speaking Italian. So what I want to say shortly is that I don't think that your personality changes if you speak the language really well. If you don't, possibly, but due to other reasons, not due to the fact that 
the language is changing you. Even though, like, in the end, yes, it is the language, but I think something else is going on. Right, right. And, I mean, for me personally, because I'm someone that feels everything, my vi- Hold on, Bob. Let me let you out. Just, you have a bit. Go. Bed. Go to bed. Okay, so... Good boy. Okay, I have a five-year-old that was whining. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, I personally feel that because my vision's limited, I might be able to see the bigger picture, but I can't see the smaller picture. Um, I feel everything. So if I'm walking into a room and you have like 150 people in this room, I could feel the temperature of the room as far as like the mood, like, you know, how people are mm-hmm. reacting to each other, just based off of me walking into the room. So if it's like a lively crowd, I was like, oh, I'm going to love this. Or if I walk into the room and it just feels like, it doesn't feel right. You know, mm-hmm. like something's off. But how do you verify that you're right? Like, how do you know that the mood mood is really not good or the mood is really good? Basically, I, 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 I gauge it by listening to, like, the, the people who are having the conversations. Like, how, mm-hmm. what's their voices sound like? Are people sounding mm-hmm. cool? Are they ticked off? You, you see what I'm saying? Are they distracted? Like, I use this as an example. I walked into a church that a cousin of mine had went to a long time ago, but she no longer goes to because she changed different faiths. So the the people were welcoming at first. (laughs) And I came back a couple more times and it started, the mood started to change. I mean, yes, they got used to me. I got used to them, but it was, I, I I didn't feel comfortable because it was more, they saw my disability as... Uh, somewhat of a burden. Mm-hmm. Like they wanted to change me. You see what I'm saying? And not yep. accept me for me. You know, lack of readable vision and all. So I had to leave because I, I didn't feel comfortable, number one. The generation gap was way off. So I'm a Generation X person, so I was born in 77. So you had kids that were born in 86, 87, 88, 89, 90, somewhere around there. And then you had people that were born in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And then it was just me. So I didn't have anybody to connect with. You know, they were either older than me or they were way younger than me. And there was just too much of a generation gap. Mm. And then there was no one that I could connect with. And so I wound up not going back. And I kind of felt like it was very one-sided. Their side, pretty much. You know, you go someplace and they... It was almost like they were pretending, I would say. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. and I didn't didn't like that. So, I mean, I can tell... Visually, I might not be able to tell you, okay, you might look sad to me if I'm talking to you, you know, something's wrong. I can hear it in your voice, you know, you're, 
depressed or something happened. You see what I'm saying? You might not want to say it, but I can pick up on those sort of things, you know, those sort of cues mm-hmm. just from listening to the person speak. Because if you're not your, your jovial self, your happy-go-lucky self, I know something's wrong, you know, just by listening and picking up on, you know, it, it, I don't know if it's mainly because, you know, I've been visually impaired all my life. And so the more vision, the more readable vision I lose, the more I'm able to internalize the space that's around me and and, and Mm -hmm. the emotions that are around me more so because I can't see like the body language very well. I mean, I might be able to see your body clearly, but I'm not going to read every gesture someone makes because in, even in communication you're not going to be able to pick up on everything someone says because it's not always going to be verbal mm-hmm. it's going to be silent and so those are the things that i have difficulty picking up on sometimes because of that reason but overall you know i can i can close the bar like the rest of them oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've been known to do that. Like when I was in (laughs) me and my friends would go down do karaoke in at a country western bar, no less. And she and my friend would get plastered. I mean, you got three visually impaired people. One's totally blind. The other two have some vision. And um, you know, we closed the bar down. You know, we never had to buy drinks. (laughs) It was we had it made, but. At the same time, too, you know, I would be the one where I would, it would be like the designated driver, even though I have no license. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I had to make sure that I knew where I was at all times. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't drink as much, but they would get plastered and be puking all over the place. So, you know, I, until this day, I still do that. If I ever went to a polyglot conference, I don't care who the heck I've talked to online or whatever. If we hit it off in real life and blah, 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 and I'm still not going to get wasted because I'm going to, I want to know my surroundings. You know, that's yeah. important to me as, as a woman. I want to know what's going on. And so, um, especially if you're going out of the country for the first time. Um, so for me personally, even, even when I'm learning, you know, uh, how to speak a different language, I always want to make sure that, you know, if I can do the same things that I do in my real life in my language, with my languages as well. Like, if I have the same interests like sports, if I have sports on my mind, like basketball or whatever, or soccer or whatever, or swimming or whatever it is, then I do um you know learn vocabulary because that's something that I do every day or if I want to cook a meal in Russian like I learned how to cook borscht I learned how to cook Olivier salad I tried to make blini I forgot to sift the flour so that's why it became the, the dough was thicker but you know I mean in in my Russian friends like Chanel that's some good blini that's some good <laughs> and you know I mean, I do. I take pictures of everything I cook and put it on Facebook anyway. And people are like, dude, you need. To, I need to come over to your house. I'm like, uh, you know. So I mean, that's a goal that I, I, I actually do many goals. Like for French, I want to make make some type of French dessert because I love chocolate. So something, 
you know, something in French, like get a French recipe and try to follow the recipe in French without going into English. Um, you know, learn the vocabulary for food and, and, you know, the different measurements and so forth and so on, you know, um, so tablespoon, teaspoon, all that type of stuff, one cup, two cup, whatever. And I mean, like I, I tell my friends all the time, I was like, that's what I do. I, I learn the stuff that I need to learn. I, I, I kind of feel that if you try to learn everything, I mean, even in English, I don't know every word in English. You're just not going to. It, it, <laughs> because there's too many. Yeah. You know, and so I said, I know what I need to know. And I'm happy with that for the most part. And my whole aim is, you know, I want to speak it, meet different people, make friends. You know, hey, if I find love, I find love. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm selective on that, too. So <laughs> <laughs> just find them, go to bed. But, um, yes, my, my yellow Labrador retriever, who's my first guy, Dog Bono. I'm sure you've seen my Facebook page with him on it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he, he thinks that when I'm walking around the apartment, he needs to follow me everywhere. Got <laughs> his uh, line of vision. Um. <laughs> yeah, because he's connected to me like at the hip. But um, yeah, I, I said, um, yeah, I always have to tell him, you know, you yes, big boy, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, he's like my baby. Because I'm yeah. single with no kids. So he's my kid. And, <laughs> and so he's my first guide dog. I, I got him four years ago when I turned 37. Because I had started to lose more of my readable vision. I went from 30, 20 over 2,400 in my left eye, acuity uh, wise to three feet in front of me counting fingers. So if you look <laughs> at the eye chart of uh, ophthalmologist's office and you see the letter E. I can read yeah. that, and then I can read the two letters underneath that. Anything underneath that, screw it. Mm-hmm. So that's as big as I can read, mm-hmm. you know, print. So, like, I have my, I have voiceover on my phone, but I have the print magnified to 100. So, like, if you wrote me something in Russian, I can actually read what you wrote mm-hmm. because it's way big. Yeah. And so um, I, I do that. But I don't, I don't do a lot of reading. Hmm. Not, not necessarily. Um, 90% of it is me listening. And I get more out of it because once I start learning the language or I'm learning um, Swedish at the moment, I, I do imagery in my head. Because hmm. I've been born totally blind. I was born visually impaired. So I actually have an, a, a nice amount of vision to where... I can tell you what a TV looks like. I can tell you what a car looks like. Okay, if you drive a car and I were to ever see your car and I would ever see the license plate on the back of the license plate, I would have to be two, probably about right up on the license plate in order to read the license plate. Mm. I couldn't read it from 10 feet Mm. back. I would have to be way up on it. So... Mm. I can still watch TV. I can still watch movies. I just can't read the subtitles. But the cool thing is now that voiceover on um, the iOS devices can read subtitles now. And so now I'm in language heaven. 
So everything mm -hmm. everybody else has been able to do for eons, I can finally do for the first time as someone being low vision. So mm -hmm. I didn't have to, I could just sit there in my chaise lounge and I could listen to the Matrix in French with Swedish subtitles if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And get two languages in at the same time. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and I actually have done that. I, I watched the Matrix, the original Matrix, which was the best one. It's my opinion. Um, and I, true. I watched it in French audio with Norwegian subtitles. Mm -hmm. And so that meant something for me personally, because for the first time, I can watch a foreign movie on Netflix and have the subtitles spoken out loud to me. And if I really want to, I can read along. I just hook up my brow display. And as it's going, I can read it. So I'm getting the tactile and I'm getting the audio all at the same time. Mm. So that's pretty much how my process is, along with speaking. Now, my pet peeve of the year is, okay, you join these website groups and all they want to do is type all day in the target language. They don't want to speak. They just want to write. Mm. And I'm like, I want to speak. And then half the time I get out of these groups because they, they're not serious about speaking. Or they want to be insulting because I have a visual impairment. So someone actually said to me, who they were from France, well, I thought that blind people weren't capable of doing much because they can't see. And I said, honey, we have blind judges that's on the state Supreme Court of Michigan. He's totally blind and he's a judge. We have blind lawyers, we have blind doctors, we have blind psychiatrists and social workers and teachers. Mm -hmm. And we actually have blind computer engineers. And I mean, there are some people out there that can take a computer apart, put that sucker back together better than a sighted person. You know, you got, you got blind people out there where they actually can drive a car. Um, their, their visual impairment doesn't prevent them from, from driving. Um, and then there's one person I know he has to wear this special device in order for him to be able to drive, but he can, he can drive. Mm -hmm. Um, but everyone's vision problem is different. It's not the same. So I always have to tell people all the time on, you know, just in general, um, I have to, I, I can only represent myself as someone that's visually impaired. I can't represent the entire visually impaired population around the world because I'm not them. I'm just me and I learn differently and everybody learns differently. So primarily for me to do this podcast, I, I'm going from my own experience and what I've learned so far as a language um, learner and, and speaker and podcaster. And yes, I might not have a degree in linguistics and, you know, um, I might learn totally different than, the average person but technically i don't really think we learn as differently as people make it seem mm -hmm. you know because at the end of the day you still gotta listen you still gotta speak so i might not write things down and i might not pick up a physical book and read it but that doesn't mean i can't get the same information that you get the only difference is, is i'm doing it digitally or i'm doing it auditorily but i'm still getting the same amount of information I'm just not straining my eye to read something I know I can't read. 
Because God knows, I, I did that for six months working as a fitting room attendant. And let me tell you, I lost more vision in nine months than in my entire life. And trust me, that was a very scary experience. And that mm. actually made me go get a guide dog. Mm. Because I, you know, I couldn't see as well as I could. I could, I could stand at a crosswalk. I could tell you the cars were coming. I tried to look to see the, the don't walk sign. And I could hardly see it from where I was at. So I knew that my vision had changed, mm. you know, so it, it psychologically, yes, it can, it can throw a person for a loop, but with technology getting better every day, I mean, we have more options today than we did 10 years ago. So in regards to accessibility,